And I invite you all now to pray with me. Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts together be acceptable in your sight through Christ Jesus, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Once upon a time, go with me on this. Once upon a time, there was a man who lived in a realm where there was no light at all. No candles, no lamps, no electrical lights, no street lights, no stars, no moon, no sun. He lived in darkness. And he went walking around all the length of his days in the darkness, and he learned to function. He learned to do very well. Everywhere he went, he, he went about as if it was just normal, because for him, it was normal. He didn't know that there was no light in his land, and so he accommodated his life to his surroundings. Until one day, that veil of darkness which had kept his realm, his land in darkness, was lifted. And suddenly, his dark eyes could see. He was given the gift of illumination to see the circumstances of his life. And what he saw to his horror is that he had been walking and making steady progress all along toward a great chasm that seemed to have no end to it. And in fact, he was not only uh, walking toward this chasm, but he was on the side of a large slope, a large hill, so that he was picking up speed and going closer and closer to this thing that would be his destruction. And when the illumination came to his life and he saw the peril that was in front of him, he immediately turned around and said, my life is in peril, I need I need to go in the other direction. And as he turned around, he saw something entirely different. From the top of this long hill that he had been walking down, he saw an even brighter light shining. And as he tried to make his way up the hill, past the handful of little shrubs and bushes and other things that were growing there, as he tried to make his way up the hill, he realized that it was going steeper and steeper as he went along but he could hear the sound of singing from the top of the hill, and he could hear the sound of laughter in the place where there was this brighter light shining. And he kept trying for all that he was worth, but he seemed to be making no progress. In fact, he noticed that underneath his feet, as the hill got steeper, was all kinds of gravel and shale and his feet would sink down into it. And the harder that he tried to climb, the farther he slid back towards the chasm. And so he spent so much time straining to get ahead and looking back and caught in between and not sure what he would do. And finally, exhausted, near the point of passing out, he sat down right where he was on the side of that hill. And he closed his eyes and he began to weep. He was caught between peril and paradise with nowhere to go. And in the racking sobs that came forth from him, he cried out, oh God, I am lost and I have come to the end of my strength. 
and I can't go any further, and I am not home. And as he cried out, these winged creatures came. At least that's what he took them to be. And they plucked him off the side of that hill. And they carried him up the rest of that rocky, craggy way. And they set him down into a new place. A place where he saw faces that he thought he recognized, but they were somehow different. Where there was laughter, and there was joy, and there was singing, and there was love. Above all, love. The light of love. And for the rest of eternity, he found his home in that place. And his heart was made full until it overflowed. And he found himself able to pray. Pray for the people he knew. Pray for the people he loved. Pray for his new friends. And most of all, pray the prayers of praise to God. Once upon a time, there was a man. And I was him. And so were you. We forget sometimes that when we discover our need from God, for God, that when the light goes on in our life, when we understand that we have a need for something beyond this world, when we understand that there is an eternity but we are not eternal, that Christ serves from a place of immortality but we are not immortals, when we understand that and the light goes on in our darkly spiritual barrenness, we're only halfway to the truth. There isn't a man or woman in this room who doesn't understand when they see their need for God that they should turn and make their life right. But we can climb and clamber and we can scrape and crawl all day long and it makes us no better than the young man that came to Jesus and said, Lord, what must I do to uh, obtain eternal life? He knew there was an eternity. And he wanted to participate in it. And he didn't know how. And Jesus shared with him what the law of Moses taught to all of them. He ran down the commandments, and the, and the man stopped him and said, Lord, I've done all of these. I've done all of these all of my life, but I'm still alone. I'm still missing something. I still don't know what I need. And Jesus said, well, there's one more thing that you lack. I, I want us to hear what the gospel writer says here, that Jesus looked at him and he loved him. He loved him. And he said, one thing you lack, you need to go sell your possessions. Just, just let them go. Give that to the poor then come with me. Come and be with me, and I'll take you the rest of the way. And the man walked away from Jesus, sad. Sometimes the way we preach Jesus, 
we expect the gospel writer to say next, as the man began to walk away, Jesus went after him and he grabbed hold of him and he said, please don't leave. I, I didn't mean to offend you. Please take it. I'll give you whatever you want. Just don't leave. Just don't leave. But Jesus just shook his head and said, it's awfully hard for a wealthy person, for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And he did nothing about that. And the disciples said, what do you mean? He said, I mean it's really, really hard for rich people to enter the kingdom of God. It would be easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle. And I'm going to stop those of you who've read some of the commentaries before and said, well, there was actually a gate in, in Jerusalem where merchants would come and bring their, their, their goods to sell. And it was very narrow. So you had to unpack your camel and unstack everything and then take the camel through and then bring your goods through. And there was always the risk that somebody would take something from you. And they've made this whole story about how Jesus was, was not saying what Jesus was really saying. What he was really saying is, it would be easier for Pastor Bill to grow hair than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Does that make the point? He was being ridiculous so that people would understand the futility of trying to measure up to the holiness of God by stacking rules side by side and relying on our goodness according to the rules to get us all the way home. Human beings are capable of incredible accomplishments. Human beings can endure unbelievable amounts of suffering. Human beings can do almost anything. There is an indomitability in the human spirit that makes me drop my jaw in awe. But what human beings cannot do is get up the side of that mountain to the city that glows from within because the light of God is its source of light. We cannot get there on our own. We cannot. It's the hard thing to surrender ourselves, to give everything that we hold onto. Every strategy that we have created for ourselves to survive in this world belongs now to God. I surrender all. It's, it's a powerful moment of complete reliance upon Jesus Christ, and it is at the center of our baptismal vows. Do you put your whole trust in Jesus Christ alone? And that's for everything, for your spiritual health, for your physical health, for your mental health, and for the eternal life of the soul that is within you. And make no mistake, what Joe read for us earlier is a powerful teaching. For the word of God is as sharp as a two-edged sword, able to divide the soul from the spirit. You all are spiritual creatures, just as much as you are physical creatures. God made all of us that way, but simply having a spiritual experience doesn't mean that we're saved. It just means that the light is coming on just a little bit, that our dim world has had a little illumination. It, that has nothing to do with our salvation other than to let us know that we are more than physical creatures. The salvation of the soul is God's business. And we have to rely completely and utterly 
on the grace of God. Now, when Jesus was making this point to his disciples, even the disciples themselves said, well then, God, who can be saved? Who can do this? Forget the rich man who walked away sad. We're kind of wondering if we should have followed you at this point. And Jesus said, you can't be saved. No one can do it. It is impossible for mortals. It's impossible, I tell you, but for God, all things are possible. This is the passage that reminds us that we have to throw out the scales, the scales that every one of us keeps in our closet, that we pull out at night when we're about to go to sleep and say, I did these sins today, but you know, I did these good things and that balances out, doesn't it? It makes it okay. You all do this. You all do this. I do it. I, I find myself relying on old Bill to fix the problem instead of remembering. Remembering that no house built in the realm of sin can ever reach the vaults of heaven. That God has to reach down from above and pluck us up. And nowhere, nowhere in our world does our status and standing with God come into more clarity and focus than in the world of finances and wealth. So I'm going to share with you some of the stewardship principles that will guide us over the next few months. And the first and the foremost is something that you'll see affirmed again and again and again in the prophets and in the Psalms and in the scriptures of our Old and New Testaments, that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Everybody say that with me. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And so when we bring an offering into our church's uh, worship service, I want you to know that I'm a pastor who has been working throughout his life to get rid of the word giving whenever we talk about stewardship in the church. I, I just cross that word out altogether. And my reason for this is that if the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, how can I give to God something that does not belong to me? How can I give something? You know, I see a friend and I say, I'd like to give you this car that I stole from my neighbor. Uh, happy birthday. It doesn't work, does it? And, and if the earth is the Lord's, if we belong to that kingdom, if we are a part of the kingdom people that say all of it belongs to God, my father owns the cattle on a thousand hills, if that is our premise, then I cannot give anything to God. When we bring the ushers forward, when Joe makes an offering of his music, something else is happening there. It isn't an, an act of giving. It's, it's an expression instead of stewardship. I am a steward. It all belongs to God, then I am God's steward. I'm like one of the guys that got five talents or two talents or one talents in the parable that Jesus told. And I am now meant to do the master's work with the stewardship of my life. And here's where this gets important. Because God isn't interested in the part of your stewardship that comes down the aisle and pays for light bills in Fumco. God is interested in the stewardship of our whole lives. 
for every penny that goes through our pocketbook. Everything we do with the wealth entrusted to us is a statement of our stewardship and love for Christ. Every bit of it. The other day, and I know there are people here on fixed incomes and times change, but the other day I sat down with the average attendance of our church and the number of households represented here and and the average household income in the greater orange area. And I did some multiplication and I've had some chops at math in the past. Do you know that just looking at income, not investment, that the annual stewardship responsibility for the people who are part of our church is somewhere between six and eight million dollars a year. And we have a budget of about 400,000, but God wants to know what we're doing with the rest of it too. And they think, hey, hey now preacher, you've just stopped preaching and you've started meddling a little bit. Well, here's how I've I've come, I'm come to this in the past, and I'll share it with you now. I don't have issues with people who own motorhomes or have vacation homes or take long vacations or, or do anything else. I don't, have, I don't have issues with anyone that God has entrusted material wealth to in large amounts, as long as they're acting as God's stewards. And one of the things that my wife Judy and I have done to cement our stewardship in a proper place is to remind ourselves through a tithe that God intends for us to be a part of a community. God doesn't want lone rangers in the kingdom of God. So the earth is the Lord's of the fullness thereof. We cannot give what does not belong to us. The next principle is we're not meant to live this life alone on the side of a hill by ourselves or walking away sad and heartbroken because all of our strategies are not enough to get us to heaven. So my wife and I decided years ago that when we, whenever we deposit a check in the bank, we always put it into the same checking account and steer it out from there. And we always move the decimal point over for whatever amount was on that check, one place, and we write a check to God's church for that amount. At present in my life, Judy is supporting Lift Renewal Ministries and I tithe here. We just write that check up front. And it's a sign of two things in our life. Number one, it's a sign of our love for all of you. We want to be a part of this mission. We want to be a part of this church. We want to be a part of what's happening here. Yes, Fumco is going through a transition, and it's a transition that I love, and I love the, the idea of the future that we are building together for the city of Orange. So that tithe check becomes a sign of our mutual commitment to the common ministry of this church's work. The other thing it does is it reminds me to be faithful in the other 9% with the rest of the money that we're spending. Is this how God wants us to do this? So somebody owns a motorhome, and they come to me in a previous church that I served, and they said, what, a, what am I supposed to do, sell my motorhome? And I said, I don't, I don't know if that's what God is asking you to, you to do. You should pray about it, but if you don't, here's what I would suggest. Every 10th trip, offer your motorhome to the youth group. Take them on a trip. 
help them out. They're, they're going to take a, a work trip or something. If you have a vacation home, every 10th time you open it up, then just open it up to a retreat for the church. Make a tithe of your life. When you have a, a free couple of hours, every 10th hour, go and volunteer somewhere and do something for, for the church or, or, or for God's work in the community. Take the principle of tithing and expand it so that we're not just talking about money in the church, but we're talking about a commitment to live our lives as stewards of God's kingdom. That's what we're really talking about. I told you a, a make-believe story at the start of this sermon. Can you imagine when the winged creatures, the angels of God who came to minister to that man arrived and he said, you know, I, I got to take all this stuff with me. Hang on, just let me pack first. And they said, we're leaving now. And he said, well, then go on your way. I'll find another way. Can you imagine if he said that? When the moment comes and we have to go to the kingdom, you just go, taking no thought of the things around you. Because everything Jesus said, everything that we give to God in this world will be repaid to us a hundredfold. And in the world to come, we'll have eternal life. This world is full of hardships, but in the midst of the hardships, God sends his ministering angels. I'm gonna share one last personal story with you. When God called me to ministry, Judy and I had just bought our first house. And we didn't know how we were gonna to go to seminary. The church had also just purchased the house next door to its parking lot, and their, their plan was to tear it down. It, it had 600 square feet in it. Uh, the original house was 400 square feet, and they tacked on a small kitchen and a bathroom. And the bathroom was so small that I, if I had to sit down, I had to turn my knees to the side because I couldn't fit between the sink and the, and the, and the toilet in there. And the pastor came to me and he said, you've been doing work with the youth ministry and if you would be willing to commute from Ukaipa to Claremont, and I'm not saying it has to be quid pro quo, but you could continue perhaps to work with the youth here and we will let you live in this house for free. And so Judy and I talked to each other, we prayed about it and we sold the house that we had just bought. And that money from that house ended up going into my seminary education. And that lasted just no time at all. And then we were having to put together a, a life that was, we, we look back now and we sort of call it our Bangladesh years. Um, there was an old guy in that church who, who, his favorite phrase about me when he didn't think it would get back to me was, oh, he's just an irresponsible kid. But in my third year of seminary, we were out of money, and Christmas was right around the corner. And we spent our last 35 or $40 to provide something for our two young children to open under the tree. And on the way out of the midnight service, this guy walked up to me and he handed me an envelope and said, Merry Christmas. We're so pleased at how God has been preparing you for ministry, and it's been a joy to watch. And I just was overcome with his expression of grace 
that God in his eyes had taken me from an irresponsible kid to somebody who was curling his toes over the branch and getting ready to launch into ministry. What a gift. What a gift. And I went home and I said to Judy, we got a Christmas card from Al. And she opened it up and said, oh my God. And as she opened the card, a $100 bill floated to the floor. And we both just wept. It, it wasn't the money. It was the expression of God's family surrounding us, filling us. This is why I do this. This is why I keep coming back week after week, to tell you about the kingdom of God, to invite you into the kingdom of God. Do you know how many times in the time since then we've been able to slide a $100 bill into an envelope? And I tell you, when my right hand gives it out, my left hand isn't even aware that I've done it, and I don't miss any of it. I've been sent here in the name of Jesus. I was sent here in 2014 to illuminate the place, to show you that there's a kingdom beyond the jots and the tittles on our ledger sheets, to tell you about a living kingdom. That was my job. And some of, some of you, when I tell you that the light is on, you're going to see a precipice in front of you, and you're going to turn, and you're going to try to run away from it. And God bless you for doing it. But there's another step still. And that's to stop striving after the things that you think will save you. To give that full surrender. To cry out to the Lord, I'm lost, I'm not home yet, I need you, Christ. And to let his ministering angels pluck you up off the side of that hill and deliver you to the place where everyone is blessed to do the hard things where we live every day in the presence of the Holy Spirit and in the joy of God's kingdom. Amen.